I have to admit, I have never really liked that parable, the parable of the talents. Is it okay for me to say that? You know, there are just, there are some teachings of Jesus that just don't sit with well with me. And several of these near the end of Matthew are like that. These ones that end with this weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness, they kind of all fall into that category. And in part, I think that's because they tend to reinforce a warped image of God that a lot of us have had along the way. This image of an angry and punitive God who's going to jump down your throat and may even destroy you if you aren't obedient and don't anticipate exactly what God wants you to do, you worthless slave. You know, it's not even just that I don't like that image of God. It actually doesn't seem to fit to me with the larger themes about God that Jesus teaches us through his life and his other teachings, which is making me wonder these days, what if the problem with some of these parables in Matthew are not Jesus' teaching of them? What if the problem is the way that I hear them? I mean, maybe the problem is the associations that we make when we hear Jesus' words, rather than what Jesus actually had in mind as he was telling the story. I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when really we're reading much of the Bible, but especially Jesus. Maybe the problem with parables that don't fit the Jesus we know are sometimes the associations we make rather than the meaning that Jesus has in mind when he tells a story. I'm going to explain that in just a little bit, if you'll hang in there with me. One of the things, though, that I don't like about this parable in particular is not just the weeping and gnashing of teeth that we have in some of the others here at the end of Matthew, but it's also the way that in this particular story, the guy who has the least amount, the servant who's only given one talent, ends up with that one taken away from him, and it's given over to the guy who has the most just because that one guy was trying to be a little conservative and protect his master's talent. See, a talent, that word in, in the story, a talent is actually a sum of money. It was a really large sum, actually. It was about equal to 16 years' worth of a laborer's wage was one talent. And I can't help but ask, why is Jesus painting this picture of a God who will take this one chunk of change and entrusted with this one servant and give it to the servant who has lots of chunks of change? It really seems to me the opposite of what we see Jesus doing throughout his ministry, isn't it? Jesus isn't exactly the rob from the poor to give to the rich type. He's more the turnover, the tables of the haves and the have-nots so that the poor have more power and the rich are taken off their pedestal, right? Every mountain will be made low and every valley will be raised up, remember? So this parable, it, it feels really unhelpful. Not to mention that if we read the parable in context, it's just one of several parables, and the very next parable, Jesus keeps teaching here. The very next thing he starts to say is that famous parable about the sheep and the goats getting separated. The sheep, you remember, are those who are blessed and welcomed into the joy of their father because Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, a foreigner, and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you looked after me. I was a prisoner, a felon, and you visited me. For whatever you have done unto the least of these, or not done unto the least of these, you've done or not done unto me. You guys know that parable, right? That's the very next thing Jesus says after this parable about the talent. So the talent parable just doesn't make sense unless maybe the associations we make in our mind when we hear Jesus' story are not the associations Jesus has in mind when he's telling the story. And this week, as I was reading through Matthew 25, a new association just suddenly clicked in my mind and in my imagination, really for the first time, a new meaning about these talents and what they're all about. And it really changed the parable for me. And really for the first time ever this week, the parable starts to sound to me a little bit more like Jesus. But before I can tell you about that, I have to tell you about what I was thinking before I got to reading Matthew 25 at the beginning of this week. You see, I started off this week thinking about the missions of Dayspring and what our missions look like and how it's connected to practicing peace in our mission statement. And as you all have heard me say many times before, peace in the biblical theological sense of the word is not about keeping things calm or just maintaining the status quo. It's not even really just about avoiding conflict. That's a sort of passive, inactive kind of peace. And it's a peace that does feel really pretty good for those who are doing well in this life and don't really want or need things to change, but not so much for those who are struggling, right? Passive peace can sometimes create a pseudo-peace, a peace for the haves, without any peace for the have-nots. But in the biblical imagination, peace or shalom is this active thing where it's creating wholeness. Peace is about the thriving of all people and the thriving of all creation. In fact, Shalom or peace, in many ways, we get a picture of it from the very first pages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. Remember, the story of our Bible begins with God, the Spirit of God, hovering over the waters. And the waters are this image of chaos. God is hovering over the waters of chaos. And then God begins to create new life by ordering the universe and bringing about life where there was none, creating life, and it's bursting forth, and this life abundant, and God calls it good. And then God says, now be fruitful and multiply more and more. Kind of like the talents that were multiplied. The master who expects multiplying. You see, in the Bible, shalom is an active force. It's this force bringing about the thriving of all people. It's about the thriving of all of creation. And it's a force that's really paralleled and connected to Jesus' language about the kingdom of God. When Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, what he has in mind is often this image of shalom that is active. The kingdom of God is this realm where everything is being made whole. Where the despair of this world is turned into hope. Where death 
is being replaced with life, where the haughty mountains are being made low and the low, humble valleys are being raised up and those crooked places are being straightened out and the rough places are being made smooth and the wolf and the lamb will all lie down together as the poetry of Isaiah describes it, right? And this is what we see in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is actively bringing about shalom in people's lives. But not even just in their individual lives. Jesus also is actively challenging the status quo of his society. He's challenging the structures and systems to push his world to be a different kind of place because Jesus has been shaped by this biblical image of shalom. And he desires to see it where he is, where there's more wholeness for the social outsiders where there's more vibrancy for the physically disabled, where there's more self-determination and power for the poor who feel stuck in their lot in life, where there is more and more and more life and love of God that's let loose in the world, creating the thriving of all people in all of creation. And that's what we mean at Dayspring when we talk about practicing peace. That's really at the heart, I think, of Dayspring's missions, this work that we have in the world. It's probably not a surprise to anybody that knows us very well that our missions doesn't tend to be focused on telling people, just telling them about Jesus nearly as much as it is about living out Jesus' life in the world, right? Of course, the telling of the stories of Jesus, it is really important, and we need to remember that. It does need to be done in the world, maybe not done in a sort of marketing tool kind of way, the way it is in some places, but we do need to have some telling of the stories of Jesus so that the world can discover more and more how radically loving this God is that's been made known in Jesus But I would say that the telling part is not really Dayspring's most natural gift as much as the showing of the way of Jesus and doing the work of Jesus that is the actively creating shalom in people's lives. And not even just in individual lives, remember. I think as a church we've been really learning learning about social structures and and systems that need to get pushed against the way Jesus did that. We've been learning about status quos that need to change in order to not just protect the haves, but also advocate for the have-nots. We're learning some about what it might look like to create shalom, and we've made this now two-year commitment to do that by focusing on ending the root causes of poverty, And, and we've talked a lot about that. By the way, as just a little side note, let me just sort of step out of the sermon for a moment. I have a little hunch that that two-year commitment might grow to become a 10-year commitment and that more and more profound shalom could be created the deeper you go with that, but that's to be discerned at another time, just to plant that little seed. Anyway, I was thinking about all of this about Dayspring's Practicing Peace and our work on poverty at the beginning of this week. And as I was, I wasn't drawn to Jesus' parable about the talents. I was actually drawn to that story we heard a moment ago from Jeremiah 29. You see, 
Jeremiah 29, it's actually one of the famous and most key stories in the Bible about our calling to be peacemakers. The reading that we heard there, it's actually this letter that Jeremiah sends to the people who are in exile and Babylon. And just to kind of remind us of that story, you remember these are people who have just been through all kinds of war trauma. Remember what happened. The Babylonian army surrounded Jerusalem. They laid siege to Jerusalem for a long time until the people in Jerusalem began to starve to death. And then, finally, Babylon broke through the walls of Jerusalem, and they began slaughtering the people of Jerusalem, and they looted Solomon's temple, and they burnt it to the ground, and then they carried off some of its leading citizens off to live in Babylon, to live in exile. These are the people that Jeremiah is writing to. They are deeply wounded and traumatized and living with their captors. And he sends them a letter where he says he's received this fresh word from the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is the message. Settle down there in Babylon. Make it your new home. Can you imagine receiving that message? Make your home among the foreigners that burnt your home to the ground and slaughtered your neighbors and your neighbor's children. The word of the Lord that came through Jeremiah says that this is what they are called to do, to make their home in Babylon. And not even that, but then that most challenging part, the real kicker, it comes in verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city to which I have sent you. And that word welfare or prosper is the Hebrew word shalom. The message that these Jewish exiles receive is to not just survive, to not just take care of themselves there when they're living among the Babylonians, but to seek the peace the welfare, the wholeness, the thriving of the city of Babylon. For, God says, in its welfare, in its thriving, in its peace, you will find your welfare. This is the radical calling, the mission that God gives to God's people. Seek the shalom of the city to where I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Dayspring, that's what practicing peace looks like. It's not just about what comes easy to us. It's about working for the thriving of the community and the world in which you find yourself, even when it's hard and even when it requires a supernatural kind of sacrificial love. And isn't that what we see in Jesus? He's embodying shalom in his life and his ministry, even when it's hard and even when it requires this supernatural kind of sacrificial love. And yeah, that's what we at Dayspring are trying to live into by learning about the root causes of poverty, even when it makes us uncomfortable and it ruffles our feathers. And we are 
doing whatever we can to try to think hard about those and listen to different voices and to address those root causes of poverty, not out of some kind of self-righteous campaign, but to address them out of a supernatural kind of sacrificial love. And all of this, all of this, after reading Jeremiah 29, is what was actually in my heart and in my mind as I came to Matthew 25 this week. And for the first time ever, I began to wonder, what if the talents that are being handed out to the master servants, what if the riches entrusted to them are not at all about money? What if they're about potential? What if the talents are a symbol of the master's wealth, the life-giving power of God? that's been given to each one of us? What if they're a symbol of our own abilities and our own opportunities to create shalom wherever we find ourselves? And think about that for a moment and how that fits with the story. I mean, some do seem to have been given more potential and more opportunities to do that, and some seem to have a little bit of less opportunities and less potential to actually create shalom. Uh, but it seems that everybody has some. That sort of fits with our experience. But even that, the, the point isn't nearly as much what you've been given. The point of the parable is, what are you doing with that shalom of God flowing through you, with that potential in you? Are you protecting it, afraid of change, afraid of loss, afraid of risk that comes with practicing peace? Or are you putting those talents, those life-giving power of God uniquely entrusted to you, are you putting it in use in order to bring about more and more shalom in the world, more of God's life in the world? If that's what Jesus had in mind, then it kind of makes sense to me to take away the power from that person that was just protecting their potential and trust it into them and to give it to the ones who are trying to use it to reshape the world. And it makes even more sense to me that this parable then flows right into the sheep and the goats where Jesus is saying, you know, whatever you're doing for the least of these or whatever you failed to do to the least of these, you're doing to me, so, so you better put those talents to some good use. You better use what God has given you that power to create shalom in your life. You better be using that for the least of these. See, Dayspring, I think we have been given some valuable and powerful talents. We have as a congregation, and you have, each of you have, retirees and grandparents and parents teenagers, children. Each of you can choose to be part of shalom making wherever you are. You have the life-giving power of God flowing into you and through you. Each of you have been entrusted with some of the master's talents. The only question is, what are you doing with them? My deep hope is that you will learn to recognize that, that you'll see that potential in you for creating shalom, and that you'll 
use them. That you will learn to risk shalom-making even when it feels disruptive. And that you will learn to care for the shalom of Babylon even, the city to where you find yourselves. May you learn to work not just for handouts to the poor, but for the shalom, the thriving of the poor, every bit as much as you care about your own shalom because you've learned to understand just how profoundly interconnected we actually are. May you see that in their shalom, we actually find our shalom. So that when the time does come, and the master actually returns, you and we all together will hear the divine voice say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter now into the joy of your master.